Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Western Focus Podcast. I'm your host, Steven Meister, but unfortunately not with us today is my otherwise constant co-host, Cobalt. He's busy with some work stuff and some life stuff that's been popping up, so it will be a solo episode of the Western Focus Podcast today. I will still be covering the LEC final round of the winter playoffs that has happened, as well as looking ahead to the LCS end of the regular season for the spring split going into the playoffs, so there will still be playoffs plenty to cover in this episode, even if it is only going to be my voice this time. I hope you're all okay with that. Normally, I ask Cobalt how he's doing, how his day's been. I hope you guys, the listeners, are having a good day, whether it's a morning, afternoon, or night, whenever you're listening to this. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. I'm very excited to get this episode out to you guys. So, I will be getting started with the recap of the LEC final round of their winter playoffs, with the first series of that being Fnatic versus Mad Lions Koi. Going into this series, I know Cobalt and I were both expecting a Fnatic win. I'm sure most people going into this series who paid attention to the league would have been expecting a Fnatic win, even though Mad Lions, to their credit, have obviously outperformed everyone's expectations. Most people had them 10th, maybe 9th going into the start of the season, so them making it this far is a huge accomplishment for them, regardless of whether or not they beat Fnatic. And as we know by now, this ended up going to a full five games with Mad Lions Koi taking that series three games to two. It was very, very entertaining. A good amount of close games. Games two and three in there were a bit more of the the blowouts uh, of both of those games. Game two was a super dominant game from Fnatic bouncing back from, I guess, a a, a relative letdown in Game 1. The early game in Game 1 for Fnatic was pretty strong, especially by Razork. He was pulling off some good ganks, finding some good plays, but Fnatic were really kind of just out-team fought in the mid and late game of it. Merwin was huge on the flanks. The follow-up from the team was generally very strong, especially with Elioia, and it ended up being a, a very strong and convincing win for Mad Lions in that first game, probably against most people's expectations. Uh, But that game, too, as I was saying, was a super dominant bounce-back game from Fnatic. They had a little bit more of an early game-oriented draft, especially in comparison to Mad Lions' draft. Um, Really relying on that Lucian to kind of be the main carry, have Karma facilitated a bit, and hopefully that brand was going to be able to get some good bounces of his ult with the Pyroclasm and take advantage of a little bit of a shorter-range comp for Fnatic with you know, Maokai and Aphelios, not the longest range as long as he doesn't have his green gun, Blitzcrank. And then Gwen is obviously going to be a little bit tricky with the immune, but otherwise, you know, a, a fairly short-range team comp for Mad Lions. And it ended up going that way for Fnatic, except it didn't. they didn't really need those super, you know, reliable team fights or whatever. They ended up winning their lanes early. Somehow in that Cassante versus Gwen lane, Oscar was able to find the solo kills on the Cassante into the Gwen. So shoutouts to him for that. I know we've seen that sometimes, but I think it was really nice from Oscar, who I believe for that first solo kill, he did end up having just that slight amount of level advantage to where he hit level 6, Maroon was only level 5, got the first solo kill. And then he rotated down to a grub play for Fnatic where they kind of snowballed their lead from there. Game three was the rebound game for Mad Lions after that rousing defeat in the second one. It ended up starting off to a, a very unusual start for a pro a pro game where both teams ended up going 5v5 in the top lane level one. They both ended up meeting in that middle alcove bush in the top lane and fought it out. It ended up resulting in a Mad Lions 3 for 0 start to the game. But the key difference from this game to that second game, where even though it still was a great win for Mad Lions, unlike that second game where Fnatic were able to close it out very quickly after that, they had a 6,000 gold lead at 14 minutes and 20 minutes into that game, did Fnatic. Mad Lions didn't really get to build up to that much of a lead in this game at those same breakpoints. The gold was relatively close. And it's a big credit to Fnatic for that because in that game they were able to you know take advantage of MDK players getting caught out of position. Basically everyone almost got, out of, got caught out of position at least once at some point throughout that game. It still ended up resulting in Mad Lions being able to out-team fight Fnatic. They still did have a slight lead, not really one that you're really like, you know, hanging your head on or anything, but it was a nice 
We played Game in the Teen Fights from MDK. Humanoid was probably the, the biggest problem for Fnatic on that game. Noah on Ezreal did miss some cues here and there, probably missed a cue here or there to miss out on a kill, but I think Humanoid was probably the biggest problem in that game. He had the most deaths on that team in Fnatic. I believe it was seven or eight deaths by the end of that game. And his only really like super clean play was at basically the very end of the game where he was able to pull off a miracle base defense on Mad Lions' first push attempt to end the game. He had his full Huey combo. I don't I don't know all of the ability combinations for Huey, but he put out all of those major abilities that are pretty obvious to see where he pulls them in with the root and then he has like that kind of Velkaz Braum hybrid ability. And he ended up dealing a lot of damage there. I believe Noah was there as well. And they ended up pulling off a very nice base defense. Unfortunately, it was not enough for them to actually win the game. Uh, it was a very nice game from Frescawi, who was playing Gragas in that game. He found a lot of flanks, a lot of nice angles to land his ult into body slam. And then the team was able to really kind of ended up working through Frescawi. And then the only real other thing I would point out this game was that with that early game start being 3 for 0 for MDK, El Yoya really was everywhere. He was playing Ivern that game. The shields were big. He had some really nice root callers in that game as well to kind of supplement uh, the Gragas initial lockdown with a Nautilus as support as well. So it was a very fun game. Uh, again, not quite as big of a blowout as that second game, but that made it much more entertaining. The fact that Fnatic were able to keep it close despite a deficit like that to start. It was impressive, just not quite enough to put them over the top in that one. And then for game four, we had a close game where the gold was even at 14. Fnatic did find a lead going into 20 minutes, but Supa was a real threat for Mad Lions in this game. He was 3-0 at the 14-minute mark, but in some of these fights, even though it kind of ended up being more of being on him than anything at the end of it, he wasn't really able to get through Oscar in and on the Zack for Fnatic, and I say that it was more so on Supo than maybe so on Oscar, because some of his positioning in the fights in that mid and late game wasn't the best, but it was also a really concerted effort from Razork playing Vi in that game, where he obviously knew Supo was the main threat on this team. MDK for their other champions had Nar, Zin, and Karma as their other main carries uh, in the in the solo lanes in the jungle. And Supa was the, the main guy on that team, so credit to Razork because it was at least three fights in the back end of that game where he is able to pick out Supa, queuing into range on the Vi, and then landing the, the R, the Assault and Battery, onto him to lock him down. And the very first time that he caught him, especially, I couldn't believe that they were actually able to respond. Uh, Fnatic, I should say, that they were able to respond to Razork making that engage. Because he queued on him, and the R traveled basically from the center of mid lane to Supa eing and flashing away and getting into his own raptor pit. But Zack... Uh, for Oscar and he was able to collapse in there with the elastic slingshot. Fanatic was able to collapse in time, kill Supa, take a fight. And then, like I said, at least uh, probably three, maybe even not four of those fights near the end was Razork just somehow being able to get onto Supa, locking him down, and then Fnatic getting just enough to get into range to kill him, whether it was with the follow-up from Oscar. Humanoid on the way again, landing a... Oh, what did they call it? I forget. Like severing, severing bolt. I think it was that the little AOE circle thing. I think that's what it was called, severing bolt. They say that they say that on the cast all the time. And then Noah on the Varus as well was able to apply some some lethality Varus play from long range as well and, and get that damage and to to be able to focus down Supa. And then the rest of MDK wasn't quite on that same level. It was a very strong game. Uh, from Fnatic in those in those mid and late game stages, especially to Razork. Humanoid and Noah had the flashy score lines. Humanoid was 9-1-8 and eight that game. Noah was 6-1-11. and 11. For contrast, Alyoya on the Zin Zhao was 1-6-7. and seven. But Razork really was the one who enabled those guys with, those, with that playmaking in those late stage fights. And forced this to a game 5 that... I don't want to say like it necessarily sums up the, the series, because overall... The, the series was very well played from Mad Lions. They outplayed Fnatic as a team. 
And I, while I wouldn't say it would, this game would sum up that point, I do think it does provide the most poignant example of that. So this ends up being a game where, in the build-up to this specific moment I'm going to get to, Fnatic are ahead, Noah is up big super early, he's up a thousand and a half gold at 10 minutes, he's 2-0, and he's playing up against Fasting Senna, so that's a little bit inflated, but the Senna didn't have, like, no CS, she just was... She was not uh, mainly farming in that game, but she started off like with the Doran's Blade and then bought the support item on her recall or whatever. So she did have some farm, just definitely not on quite on pace with um, with Noah in that game. But regardless of that, it was a very quiet game, um, and it ended up coming down to this pivotal point where MDK began outplaying Fnatic around the map. They found some nice tower trades, and then the final one was the big play mid. So they ended up forcing their position mid from Fnatic. They got the, the inside line to mid lane. Fnatic were forced outside to their jungle around Baron. So some of them were recalling to end up getting back to defend the base that was going to be exposed with Mad Lions pushing. They ended up breaking the mid lane inhibitor tower as well as taking the inhibitor. Then a few minutes after that, again, they're kind of, you know, squabbling around mid lane. Alvaro playing Maokai in that game at support was able to find an angle for an ult from the bot side of Fnatic's jungle, the blue side of Fnatic's jungle. He angles the Maokai ult up through their jungle to the mid lane. And what ends up happening is that Oscar is on Gwen. He ends up popping his W, the, the mist, where that she is immune in that little bit of a zone. The Maokai ult ends up going through Oscar And Noah is standing a little bit behind Oscar, but clearly expected Oscar, I would assume, to get hit by the by the Maokai ult. But it ends up phasing through Oscar Noah gets rooted by the Maokai ult. And Mad Lions are right there to get in there. Merwin is there. Elioida is there. The damage comes through from the Senna ultimate that Supa was playing. Friskawi chases down the rest of Fnatic in the fight with a shuffle. And Mad Lions end up taking what definitely looked like, or at the very least, you know, at the very least looked like what probably should have been a, a good win for Fnatic and putting them through into that next round against BDS. So... Definitely the most, like I said, poignant example of that team play coming through to fruition where Mad Lions, as I mentioned, were finding great tower trades. And this wasn't even just in this game, throughout the series as a whole, their, their three victories were very nice team play, moving around the map, not just you know taking tower trades, but executing in team fights as well. Very, very impressive stuff from this team of four rookies and El Yoya. But I think the one thing that has been mentioned a lot, and I believe we mentioned this too when we were previewing Mad Lions as well in an earlier episode, was that, you know, kind of like how we looked at NRG last year where the sum of the parts was, was greater than the whole, I'm pretty sure I said that right, that the team as a whole, they have that it factor as a team, even if the individual pieces don't look that great, or at the very least they're underrated in comparison to the rest of the players and their positions around the league. Mad Lions seem to have that factor where, yeah, maybe these players coming in aren't all really like regarded as the top in their role or the, you know, even the top half in their role, but three of those guys with Frescawi and Supa and Alvaro playing together on Movie Star Riders, and then Merwin was on another team but in the same league as Movie Star Riders was the Super League of that URL that they were in. So they, they clearly have some sort of, you know, existing synergy with those three guys for sure. Maybe Merwin, you know, probably got along with them pretty fine as well as it is playing in the same league. Their, their, their style of play is just, is relatively consistent. Like, they do have some games where they are fine with scaling. They'll play some more disengage comps. They did play that uh, at least once that I remember noting. Probably, def probably, I'd assume more than once, but one that I definitely remember them doing. But they love scrapping. They love looking for those little fights. And even though that is what their success comes from, it also can lead to their detriment. A lot of these games that they do lose, it's because they're getting a little bit too greedy, pushing a little bit too hard, overextending in fights, overextending, pushing a lane. And maybe it does become the detriment of them, but it's also why they're able to pull off games like this, where it's like, hey, you know, they're scrappy. And then this, this it fact that, that they have as a team coming together as quickly as it has and as uh, impressively as it has 
led them to a stage like this in a game where it's like, hey, we made a very nice macro map play and we were able to use what we're normally really good at with these scrappy kind of fights and the opposing team made a huge mistake out of it and we're in perfect position to capitalize of it because of how they've come together as a team. So very impressive for Mad Lions to take that game five in the way that they did. Obviously, it was an unfortunate mistake from Oscar and Noah, whoever you want to put the blame on more a little bit. You know, you you know, there's there, there's a little bit of room there. Maybe Noah shouldn't have been in that exact position behind Oscar. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't remember exactly where Oscar was in relation to Maokai. So maybe he could have like, I don't know, dashed forward to tank the ult, you know, I, I don't know, but. Uh, a very impressive win for Mad Lions, uh, being able to put themselves in a position like that to be able to take advantage of a mistake like that. And obviously heartbreak for Fnatic. That is not the way you want to go out on, on uh, definitely a mistake like that. But ends up being the end of the road for Fnatic there in five games. A very tough series for them. And, and not an ideal winter split for them. Obviously Oscar had been the subject of most of the criticism recently. He wasn't bad in this series, but he wasn't really great. The only standout game that I really remember him having was that second game with the Cassante versus Gwen matchup that ended up going in his favor. He was, like I said, he wasn't bad this series. You know, most of these guys on Fnatic had, had their, their bad moments. Obviously, that ending mistake with Oscar and Noah was bad. Humanoid had that stinker in Game 3. But overall, as a season for Fnatic... I, I guess you'll I guess you'll take it. You finish top four. Ideally, you know, you're you're probably up there in second or third, like I was predicting them to be at the start of the season, but with how some of those rough spots ended up showing up with players like Oscar, I don't think this was a bad performance from them. They took MDK to five games, they played a tight series. I'm not gonna be expecting really any changes to Fnatic, which we'll, we'll just have to see how they do going into the spring split. And then the next series we'll be getting into was Mad Lions versus BDS. Now, this one as well, a series going into it, probably you'd expect BDS to win. But there was a major change in this series that changed the entire landscape of it, with Adam, their top laner, BDS's top laner, being benched for this series in favor of Genax, who has been a LEC top laner before. He's been in the ERLs with BDS uh, as of now before getting into this uh, starting role for this series because there was a report that came out from Sheep Sports where Adam, who has had a bit of a toxic past and history, uh, got into a verbal altercation with his coach as well as dealing some stuff with teammates. Uh, they weren't getting along well. There was this altercation that bubbled up and it became more than what the team clearly found acceptable to just pass off as, you know, Adam being a little toxic. Um, and they benched him for this series in favor of their ERL top laner Gen X. They got the approval to let him play. So with Adam playing in this series, you are definitely favoring BDS to win, and you are probably expecting them to win as a result. With Gen X coming in, we definitely saw the difference in those first two games where Mad Lions were able to start off this series in a very strong 2-0 fashion. The first game for BDS actually did start off relatively good for them. They had a good early invade bot lane with Sheo. Sheo stole a dragon. Him and Ice were 1-0-1 to start the game. It was looking good for them, but ended up going in Mad Lion's favor because they were actually able to, surprise, surprise, find picks with their scrappy little uh, comp that they had. And BDS rarely had a fair teamfighting opportunity versus them. You, know, you, you look at BDS's comp for that game, Cassante, Sejuani, Azir, Felios, Tom, very classic team fight, you know, very standard front line, your two solid DPS threats with Azir and Aphelios back there to be the main carries, nothing wrong with that, but you have TF top lane for Merwin, an unconventional pick that's now seeming to be a bit more conventional with those recent changes to TF, uh, Vi in the jungle, Talia, Jinx, and Rakan. Pretty distinct styles, BDS has that team fight. MDK, you're really looking at, you know, TF and Vi and Talia just instantly bursting someone before a fight happens or just catching someone out in rotation, maybe catching a support or a jungler warding your jungle, and then having Rakan follow up with his little bit of AoE that he does uh, apply with his ult and his W. 
but you're really looking to focus someone down with those first three champions, Twisted Fate, Vitalia, and then Havrakhan and Jinx kind of, you know, supply that more of, of a traditional team fighting style bot lane. And they they did they did as they needed to. Like, like I said, they found those picks with the TF, with the Vi, with the Talia. Frascawi was really nice and ended up just being a a very good win for MDK to start off that series, despite kind of similar to that first game against Fnatic, an initially good early game uh, from that opposing team with their jungler finding uh, a slight advantage in the early game. And then in the second game, it was a much more convincing performance uh, from Mad Lions. Ice uh, ended up getting caught in the game-losing fight in both of these first two games, um, but in the end, Ice wasn't... Uh, too detrimentally bad, really, in, in either one of those games. She just obviously was cut out at the very end for those games. In the second one, LeBron was on Blitzcrank. His Blitzcrank performance was not very good. Um, they only really had one successful play, did BDS, in that game. It, they did have a nice TP flank bottom uh, with MDK pushing up a little bit too far. But this one especially, I do think, was a draft gap where MDK have a super, super nice comp of... Nar in the top lane, Ivern, Jungle, Azir, Zaya, and Braum to round out their mid and bottom, versus BDS had Cassante, Vi, Corky, Aphelios, Blitzcrank. And when you look at Mad Lions' comp, other than the Nar, I mean, it's like, how do you kill anyone on this team, right? Like, as long as they don't fall super far behind in the early game, BDS's comp is very single target focused again. You have Vi to lock down someone, you have Blitzcrank to pick off someone. Cassante, you know, has, you know, has. A little bit of, of Cassante and capabilities to him, but his main abilities, you know, he'll W onto a group of people and then he'll single out that one person. Hopefully he gets onto the carry, he'll ult that carry, and then try to either take them out of the fight or 1v1 them, uh, you know, and, and kill them, but at the very least take them out of the fight. Hopefully he gets them through a wall and and they become nullified for that portion of that of that encounter. But, I mean, like I said, how do you really kill anyone in MDK as long as you're not falling super far behind? Ivern... Uh, we've seen Alyoya have great success on Ivern uh, in that Fnatic series. And then Azir, Zaya, Braum, those champions are just all so safe. Zaya has her own self-peel with her ultimate. Azir is a super safe mid laner who has a ton of range on him and his own kind of self-peel with his ultimate, obviously. We generally see the Azirs play a bit more aggressive and look for the shuffle opportunities, but inherently Azir is a very safe DPS backline mage. Um, so you have two super safe carry threats with two incredible supports to help back them up with the Ivern's applying the shields, applying the roots. Daisy as well is just such a nuisance in team fights. And then the Braum as well, which is a, a very traditionally team fighting support. His ultimate is huge for the team fights. The the shield to stop all that range damage coming in from, you know, Corky Rockets trying to come in, put up that unstoppable sh unstoppable shield. And it just reduces so much of the damage. Aphelios can't really do much into that because Aphelios, while he does have a little bit of range with his green gun, he is more of a champion that likes to be kind of piled in on more. You know, obviously the, the phrase red-white don't fight. You don't want to fight him in that mode, but MDK has such a long range and they're so safe. It was going to be a game where as long as, long as they didn't just intet completely, they most likely would have had a great shot of winning, and they did win that game pretty convincingly. It went basically as I thought it would go. The shields and the peel were nullifying the Vi and the Cassante attempts to pick off people, and at the very least, if they didn't you know, end up being turned completely in Mad Lion's Koi's favor, the, the peel did last long enough for them to respond a little bit and at least get a trade or two if it didn't just end up resulting in that person living and then the fight being completely turned on its head by them. BDS just were not given enough tools in their draft to to handle all of the, the range and the safeness and the peel that Mad Lions Koi had in that game. So as you're watching this series, you can definitely tell that BDS is lacking something without Adam up there in the top lane. Adam did play better on his on his non-traditional champs that he plays, his Garen, his Darius, his Olaf, his whatever. The the more meta champions he was performing better on, but it's two games of Cassante for Gen X up there. Neither one of those games uh, were very impressive in terms of any sort of impact he had on them. And you're really you're really wondering, man, like is Mad just gonna 3-0? 
BDS without Adam? And is this is BDS going to really regret this decision to to bench him uh, for this series? Well, we end up getting the <laughs> surprise of the split, as far as I'm concerned, where BDS in that third game end up drafting Lee Sin top for Gen X, which is apparently a, a comfort pick of his, something that he's played before in pro. Nothing that I, I remember, obviously, that had been a few years ago. He hasn't been in the LEC for a little bit. But Leeson Top, definitely not something I was expecting, and definitely not something I was really expecting to have a lot of success. But BDS ended up taking that third game, and the Leeson Top was actually hugely impactful, not necessarily in the lane, but in, in the team fights, which is definitely not what I would have been expecting out of Leeson Top. Uh, but to be fair, it wasn't just him. Ice, uh, this game on the Ezreal, was absolutely going crazy uh, in this game, as well as the game after this one. He played Ezreal in back-to-back -back games, and he was just looking so clean, so comfortable on that champion navigating team fights. And was a huge reason as to why BDS were able to turn it around and end up forcing a five-game series against Mad Lions Koi again. That game three with the Leeson top was nuts. There were a couple of major team fights in the end where uh, Ice and Gen X just absolutely went crazy. They basically had a 2v4 in one of them. Uh, MDK did get a little bit squishy from... The other players on the team and the rest of the fight that happened beforehand but ice was basically untouched gen x was just sustaining so much with his build and the safeguard and a little bit of lifesteal that you get from that so it was a crazy 2v4 that they ended up being able to pull off and then gen x after that basically had a 1v3 uh, at a dragon fight while Sheo and ice uh, ended up killing elioya on the dragon and they got the mountain soul from that they're able to then go down to help Gen X after that in his 1v3, um, and he obviously lived through all of that, and at that point on, that game 3 was a wrap. Uh, I did get caught in the final fight, MDK did find a nice angle, but Nuke, uh, to give him a, a shout-out in this game, because he was relatively decent, uh, this was his, his big notable play, ended up saving ice for just long enough from that little pick that mdk were able to find on him with the shuffle he knocked supa who was diving in uh back along with elioya and someone else who was there i believe it was frescawi on akali in that scenario he knocked them all back supa died really quickly ice was able to live for like another extra second to get off a couple of auto attacks and an ability uh, before he did eventually die but that fight still ended up going in bds's favor thanks to nuke saving the day on that one and then they won the game off of that putting it to two to one and then game four was a great draft for bds uh, Ice, again, super crazy on the Ezreal. He was 3-0 at 8 minutes. MDK did put up a little bit of a fight. They had some decent moments here and there. But ended up being a nice final team fight to wrap things up for BDS. Uh, Gen X ulted in Elvaro. He was playing Gragas on this game. He had found a nice angle with the ultimate to ult Elvaro into BDS and knock Supa away from the fight. Um, and then as Supa was trying to rejoin it, Lebrov ends up comboing in on his Rakan in that game, and it basically forces Supa to make a choice, basically either kind of walk in and probably get knocked up by the Rakan combo and die, uh, or just leave the fight completely uh, and, and not risk getting CC'd, so he ended up walking away and Mad Lions got wiped in that final fight, and it ends up going to five. The final game did see Mad Lions taking it and going to the finals, it was a very fun game, El Yoya was everywhere in the early game playing Brand. He picked Brand a few times in both this series and the Fnatic series. He looked really good on the Brand, really good on the Ivern as well. But the Brand this game really took over. He was up 1,000 gold at 14 minutes. Um, but the, the most notable thing, I think, that came from this game in, in, the, in the finale was that Merwin really kind of took over uh, in, in the mid part of the game. BDS ended up getting zoned around from Baron as MDK ended up starting it. And Merwin is just zoning Sheo completely away. Merwin's on Cassante, Sheo's on Zin Zhao. Merwin just chunked Sheo out to like half health on his own. Uh, he's basic, they're basically standing around the, the Raptor Pit by Baron, which I believe was uh, BDS's jungle. And Merwin chunks him out. Sheo, Sheo and the team realize, okay, guys, they're on Baron. We have to see if we can try to get in. 
But Merwin then just ults Shao through the raptor pit, ends up killing him as some of BDS were coming from top lane, a couple of BDS members were around Shao, but they weren't close enough together to really commit to either thing. There's only like two members coming down from top around the Baron, and Shao's not there, so he can't be in position to smite it. And then there's not enough damage down where Shao is to really get through Merwin at all. So MDK gets the Baron, and somehow, not only does Merwin just completely zone Shao away from it, he ends up solo killing him, and he escapes as BDS finally decide, okay, let's see if we can get onto him. They can't get onto him. He gets out, um, and he just completely destroyed BDS single-handedly in that scenario. It was a great, again, great team decision and great execution from Mad Lions to get BDS in that spot, force their hand, and I, a little bit luckily, maybe if you want to call it that for MDK, BDS wasn't in a position to really respond to either situation. Um, so, very well played for Mad Lions. Ice ended up getting caught again in a near-game ending fight, so a few bad moments for Ice in the later stages of some of these games. But it did end up going the way of Mad Lions. As I said, that last fight was kind of impressive, where uh, BDS excuse me, did end up losing the game. Um, Supa was kind of picked off a little bit at the beginning of that fight. It was at the Dragon Pit. But the, the key thing that went wrong in that fight was that Nuku was playing Porky in that game. He ended up packaging in, but there was a big kind of cluster going on in that Dragon Pit. So he ended up using that second Valkyrie to ult out of the back of, or not to ult out of it, but the Valkyrie out of the back of the pit. And he ended up losing a lot of damage uh, in that fight, since at that point he's obviously out of range to hit anyone, he can only apply his rockets, and he ends up trying to walk around the the tri-bush side of the dragon pit to rejoin the fight, but by that point, BDS is already kind of low. For Scout, he ends up you know, putting the nail in the coffin with a nice ultimate onto the remaining three members of BDS that were in that fight. He dished a lot of damage, Merwin was there as well, and it was a very nice, clean team fight for MDK to take that series and advance to the finals against G2. So when I'm looking at both of these series as a whole, MDK against Fnatic and against BDS, as I said earlier with the Fnatic series, Mad Lions just did a super good job of just outplaying these teams at their game, beating them up in team fights, being scrappier, not letting BDS always get into these positions where they can run these mid and late game team fights as good as they usually do. Obviously, I'm sure missing Adam again was a knock to BDS, so in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't a terrible series from them. But the play from Mad Lions has been a huge surprise. No one expected them to be able to make it anywhere near this far, let alone looking as good as they have been. So the fact that they made it to G2 in the finals of the winter split, super impressive to probably no one's surprise, even though against all the odds, they beat Fnatic, they beat BDS. Uh, it did not go to five games against G2. MDK did end up losing three games to one against the surprise, surprise champions of Europe, G2. So that game only went, or that series only went to four games. The first game was a, a Mad Lions win. They had a very nice draft. They bullied G2 in the early game bot lane, especially with some early dives, and did a really good job of punishing G2's mistakes. Again, a lot of catching guys out of position. Elioia was everywhere. Cap still had some okay moments, some decent ults here and there to kind of find a couple of picks on his own. But a majority of that game was Mad Lions finding a lot of the picks, and it ended up being... A, a great start to the series for MDK, finding that first game against G2, who you definitely were surprised uh, to be in that position down 1-0 against Mad Lions. But games 2, 3, and 4 were a lot cleaner for G2, a lot more of what you probably would have been expecting. Uh, the second game was a early game stomp for G2. They snowballed very effectively. There were some fun plays in that. Uh, Caps kind of baited Frescawi mid lane with the LeBlanc clone uh, into chasing him into the bush. Yike ended up being there. They found first blood for Frescawi mid. That was kind of fun. It was an early game stomp for G2 in that one. The, the third game involved, and pretty much the fourth game as well, um, was a lot of just G2 
just beating MDK the way that they were beating Fnatic and BDS. They were out team fighting them. They were finding more success around the map, even though MDK did have some decent moments here and there in games three and four around the map. G2 are just the better team. They're clearly the better team. The synergy is more there. The team play is just a little bit more there. And the individual skill is, is still probably the biggest gap uh, between these two teams. But again, for MDK, it'll probably take that, saying that the individual difference is probably the biggest gap between them and G2, because MDK did look very impressive in every series leading up into this final one. Game 4 was the heartbreaker a bit for MDK, because Supa was completely 1v9 in that game, but the only real downside was that he was playing Lethality Varus, uh, which is not necessarily an easy champion to 1v9 on. I mean, he he, he really was 1v9 Alyoya, and... Alvaro did great jobs trying to peel for him. They were on Rel and Alistar. They tried everything they could to peel for that guy. But my goodness, Merwin and Frescawi were completely useless. Merwin was like four levels down at one point. He was three levels down consistently for that game. But there was a point where he peaked as much as being four levels down to Broken Blade in that game. Frescawi not down as many levels on caps, but he was down the same amount of gold that uh, Broken Blade was up on Merwin, and it just he just didn't have a chance, unfortunately, to really be able to carry a game like that. That game and that draft kind of overall, it's like I don't necessarily hate the draft for either side, but you needed either the Jace that Merwin was on or the Talia that Frescawi was on to become another real threat, because they're playing a very poke-oriented draft with those three champions, then Rel and Alistar as like your engage or your disengage. Whereas G2 is much more of a, of a team fightier comp. They are a bit safer, you know, overall maybe than MDK. A bit more appeal with things like Senna and Lilia can be very annoying. And again, Azir, very safe. I just talked about him not too long ago. The big thing was, again, like MDK needed a secondary threat and it never developed. It was all on Supa. And I was at least a little bit hoping that he could pull it off, because I wasn't sure if G2 did have enough CC to really get to him. But once I saw Supa's first death, where G2 literally threw everything at him, they threw the Nautilus ult, Nautilus Q, Azir tried, Azir got in there at the very end, you know, Gragas ult couldn't quite get onto him, Gragas couldn't slow him down. The thing that did in the Varus was the Lilia E, that little bowling ball, hits him, Lilia gets the ult on him from proccing the E, and then despite everything, despite Rel knockups and Alistar knockups and headbutts away and stuns and the Varus R and everything, you know, it's it, both sides wasted everything that they possibly could to get onto Supa. The sleep from Lilia lasted just long enough for Azir, for Caps, to swoop on in there, ult him back in, Supa dies. And once I saw that, it's like, okay, like they, they, they have just enough that even if both sides trade everything, they do at the very least have just enough to get him. And unfortunately for Supa, despite him having like eight, nine, ten kills, whatever it was, he was not ever really in a position to be safe enough to carry that game. And again, especially on the champion, he's on with Lethality, Varus, you know, it's just, it's not quite the 1v9 champion. So I felt super bad for him, especially in that game. You know, Merwin had a great run in the regular season, a great playoffs overall. This series was not his brightest moment. He wasn't terrible, but this game specifically was an absolute horror show for Merwin. And then Frescawi, who again had been surprisingly solid throughout most of the playoffs, did have a stinker here as well. You kind of expected that a bit more overall going up against someone like Caps, but the, the big surprise was Merwin just being so far behind as he was, but it was obviously a huge credit to G2. Broken Blade was just super dominant up, up there on him in the top lane. And G2 are the LEC Winter Champions, so not exactly the route that we probably would have thought, uh, would have been taken to get G2 to this spot. I would have probably expected Fnatic uh, to be here uh, in the in the preseason. I probably have expected BDS to be here going into these playoff rounds. I'm sure Cobalt would have had a little bit of a similar thing. I think he had maybe SK probably against uh, G2 going maybe into the season because I know he was a bit higher on SK than I was. He probably would have had SK or BDS going into the playoffs as well. But it ends up being Mad Lions who get the honor of falling to G2 in the winter split playoffs for the LEC. So with that wrapped up, we will transition into a little bit of LCS talk. There's not going to be anywhere near as much talk about the LCS as for the LEC due to the fact that there have been no games going on 
for two weeks, but the things I will do are going to be fun. I'm going to do a quick recap of the standings, and then I'm going to give my predictions for as to where I think these teams will end up going into the playoffs. So as things stand currently, FlyQuest are atop the league 7-2 and two in first, second place is 100 Thieves, 6-3. and three. TL Team Liquid is in third with five wins and four losses. Then we have a three-way tie for fourth between NRG, Cloud9, and Dignitas at four and five, and a two-way tie for seventh between Shopify Rebellion and Immortals at three and six. So the way that I did this is that I went down the remaining uh, two weeks of games for the LCS. There's going to be five, five days of games left. And I predicted each game, I'm not going to go through the individual predictions, but I'm going to say where I have each team ending up. So despite there being only eight teams uh, in, in the league now, the playoff bracket is still going to be the top six teams that are advancing through. So the first place team that I have at the very end of it all is going to be FlyQuest still. FlyQuest are going to go 12-2 and two to, to end their season. They're going to win all five of their games. I'm not necessarily surprised they have games against C9, 100 Thieves, TL, NRG, and Dignitas. Not necessarily an easy schedule for them by any means. Um, I'd, maybe if that C9 game is, should be interesting. We'll see if C9 can rebound. We'll see if the 100 Thieves game will be interesting or not. That Those are the, the top two teams in the league, obviously, as of right now. So it is a tough schedule for FlyQuest, but I like their quality. They've looked really well. I'm going to give them the 5-0 the run going into the end of it all. I wouldn't be surprised if they drop a game. You know, they'll, they'll, they will probably drop a game at some level, but this is just how my predictions ended up going. I have 100 Thieves remaining second. I have them ending at 9-5, and five, so still very respectable for 100 Thieves, obviously, in the grand scheme of things. Going on a very similar kind of Mad Lions Koi run, a team with a, a, a very uh, veteran and experienced jungler and a bunch of young players surrounding him peaking near the top of the standings. Very good for them. Then I have Cloud9 in third. Uh, Cloud9 Aussie right now are in that, that tie for fourth. I have them coming out on top in sole possession of third at eight and six. I have them losing to FlyQuest in that first game, but then beating Team Liquid, Dignitas, Immortals, and Shopify Rebellion. Maybe asking a little bit much, uh, considering Shopify beat them already. Uh, and obviously have looked pretty shaky, but I'm going to bank on this couple-week break for them being very pivotal. And I mean, in theory, these are all teams that, going into the season, you'd expect them all to beat, uh, except for maybe FlyQuest. So I think that, in theory, these predictions for C9 do make sense. I don't really think I have a lot of bias going into these games. Um, it, it should play out this way, assuming C9 don't uh, continue to completely bottle things. And then I'm going to skip the middle of the pack right here, because the way my middle of the pack ended up is very, 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 very fun, very interesting. The last place team I have is Shopify Rebellion 3-11. I have them losing out uh, all five of their games going into this final couple of weeks. Now, 4, 5, 6, and 7 I have are all tied at 6 and 8 in my final predictions. So I don't know exactly how this would play out in terms of the a tiebreaker setting. The way that I did this is I just went head-to-head. -head. I went strict head-to-head. -head. I tried to make it as clear-cut as I could from that. I don't know if they would play tiebreaker games or not, depending on certain situations or what they would look at. Obviously, head-to-head -head should be the main tiebreaker, but in a four-way tie, I'm not exactly sure how that would work. Um, but I do have Dignitas, Immortals, Team Liquid, and NRG all tied at 6 and 8, and this is how it breaks down based off of my head-to-head -head and how I've predicted these games coming up. So we'll get kind of a little bit of a sneak peek into it, but like I said, I'm not going to explicitly say which games are because that would take too long. So I have Dignitas in fourth, and that I was very surprised to see, but based off of how this plays out with Dignitas again, with Immortals, TL, and NRG being the other three teams at 6-8 and eight with them, Dignitas is 2-0 and oh against Immortals, and then they are 1-1, one versus Team Liquid and NRG. So, I mean, that's very respectable. Taking a game off of TL and NRG for Dignitas, especially with the expectations of them going into the season, is incredibly solid for them. And then 2-0 against IMT, I personally would not have expected that going into the season. I had IMT higher than Dignitas. But, you know, two teams around a similar kind of skill level, uh, you know, it's very possible for 
both games to go either way. In this case, they're going to toss one, both of those games against Immortals, one and one versus Tail and NRG. Very impressive for Dignitas, completely out of the blue, with them ending up in fourth. I, don't, I mean, I, I would probably argue that that's probably more impressive than 100 Thieves being second. Because we knew 100 Thieves had some serious potential, at the very least for Summer Split, even if it wouldn't be fully realized in spring. But Dignitas, I had them bottom of the barrel. I had no faith in this roster at all. I did not like what they were what they were cooking with Tomo uh, staying down there in the bot lane, and then Xu coming up as their jungler, not very impressed. Dove wasn't even playing in summer of last split, so I was completely out. But in this case, with how they've obviously played up till this point, and then based off of my predictions for these final five games, now you think that that might be the biggest surprise. But in fifth place is Immortals. What? Immortals? Yes, Immortals. Immortals in this, again, in this universe, Immortals is 2-0 against NRG. They are 1-1 versus Team Liquid, but they are 0-2 versus Dignitas, and that's why they are below Dignitas in the standings, obviously. 2-0 versus NRG. 2-0 versus NRG is, again, huge, especially with preseason expectations, you know, obviously that have been even more impactful about the way NRG is playing now. Not quite as impressive, but still a, a very solid record for, again, a team like Immortals, who I had them, you know, I talked about Dignitas, them finishing 8th. I only had Immortals finishing 2nd, so it's not like, you know, I had them that much higher. And then 1-1 versus Team Liquid, again, same kind of thing, you know, Team Liquid, solid, respectable, kind of middle-of-the-pack team. Not a ton of huge threats there. But again, for Immortals to take a game off of them, very nice. The O2 versus Dig again is probably my biggest surprise in that instance. But Immortals being fifth and Dignitas being fourth, that means one of TL or NRG would not be going to playoffs. And that is definitely something that no one would have had going into this season. Even if you were a TL hater, there's no way you would have had them placing bottom two, right? It was definitely going to be two of Immortals, Dig, or Shopify. So the fact that, again, and, and based off of what I've done, that both of those teams are not only going through Dignitas and Immortals, but they're fourth and fifth. That is super, super strong for them. So it comes down to, then, which one of those final two teams, Team Liquid or NRG, makes it through in that final spot. Now, TL and NRG, they went one and one. They both took a game off of each other. One of these teams went 1-1 one one against all three of the other opponents, Immortals, NRG, and Dig, and TL, and then one of those teams went 0-2 versus one of them. And if you remember from what I said before, IMT went 2-0 versus NRG. So that means NRG went 0-2 versus Immortals, TL went 1-1 one one versus Immortals, and then both teams took a game off of each other, both teams took a game off of Dig. So this is where it comes down to, I don't know how the tiebreakers would actually work. But with how I'm doing it, TL is 1-1 one one against three teams, including NRG. NRG is 1-1 one one against two teams, but 0-2 against Immortals. I gave TL that seventh spot, which means NRG, the defending LCS spring champions, would again, assuming how I'm doing this, would be missing the spring split playoffs at a record of six and eight which as i've said before would be very very incredibly fitting for me finally believing in this team i've been an nrg and a clg hater not necessarily a hater but a doubter for so so long i never believed them whenever they were doing good i'm like no these players they're not good enough you know oh you know maybe they're a decent team sure but they're never gonna you know do well in playoffs and they started doing well in playoffs and i'm thinking oh they're never gonna win the lcs and they win the lcs and i'm like oh my goodness they're gonna go to worlds they're not gonna do good at worlds and they're the only the only, only western team to make quarterfinals at worlds so i finally believe in them this this split and they finished seventh <laughs> that would make perfect perfect sense for me and how i end up doing my predictions but that's how it pans out in, in, in my universe with these with these outcomes. That would be your final LCS standings. FlyQuest at 12 and 2 and first, 100 Thieves 9 and 5 and second, Cloud9 8 and 6 and third, Dignitas 4th, Immortals 5th, TL 6th. All three of them making the playoffs at 6 and 8 and then NRG missing out due to tiebreakers in 7th position at 6 and 8 and then Shopify Rebellion and Dead Last at 3 and 11. 
definitely some shockers in there. Uh, if you guys obviously will be making predictions, uh, the LCS does that stuff on Twitter for making game predictions as uh, the weeks happen and the game days happen. Uh, share your predictions with us. You know, we're on Twitter at uh, no rival underscore esports. Tweet at us on there. Share your predictions. What? How do you think the standings are going to shake up? I think this would certainly be very entertaining. And I mean, it's not like I really like did any crazy predictions to to make this happen. Like I'm looking up and down the ones that I did. And I mean, obviously, with how close the league has been, anything can really happen in, in these games. But, like, I, I didn't try to make a crazy prediction for the sake of making a crazy prediction. I think probably the the craziest one that I have is, is Immortals beating TL in the final day. Which, I mean, again, like, that, 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 can, that can happen. Um, they did lose to... To TL earlier in the, in the split, so it would be the first time they would be able to take them down. But if that's the craziest game, it's not like I'm predicting, you know, Shopify to to like beat FlyQuest or anything like that. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything ridiculous. At least I don't think so. Maybe you think that. Uh, <laughs> maybe you think that 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 prediction of Dignitas beating TL is a bit ridiculous. But Dignitas has been looking fine. They're 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 in the middle of the pack right now. So I, I don't think that's a crazy prediction. They're only one. Uh, one game off of 500, you know, they're, they're only one, technically one place back of, of TL in the standings. So, so like I said, tweet at us, you know, share, share your thoughts. I think this would definitely be very, very, uh, very, very crazy for a final standings projection. And like I said, I think, I think everything checks out on, on my end. There's nothing really ridiculous going on. You can say maybe like, again, maybe going into this season, like Immortals beating NRG, like I have would be crazy. But now, I mean, Immortals isn't great. But it's not like NRG is looking much better than them either. Again, both of those teams are only separated by a game. So, seems seems pretty legit to me. I think I think anything can happen right now. Uh, I I will say that putting Shopify 0 and 5 probably isn't gonna happen because we have seen them take those three games against some good teams. They do play C9 on that last day, so maybe there's another upset brewing there. They play 100 Thieves the day before that, so there definitely could be some upset potential with Shopify Rebellion if they can can keep that kind of trend going. But I'd say that that might be the most unlikely thing to happen is them going 0-5. That obviously would have an impact uh, on the standings as they do play uh, NRG, they do play Dignitas, and they do play Immortals uh, in, in three of their final five games. So with all of that out of the way, as I said, that's going to be it for the LCS. It's going to be very short because there haven't been any games being played. That's my look ahead into it. Hopefully you enjoyed the discussion, though. I'm very excited to watch this final couple of weeks of the LCS regular season because especially if, if what I have coming true comes true, that'd be a huge shock with the four-way tie with NRG missing out. Again, I don't necessarily know how the format would go. Maybe they would be playing tiebreaker games instead. But nonetheless, that will be the end of this episode of the Western Focus Podcast. I appreciate you guys very much for listening, albeit for, again, a solo episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I tried my best to give you guys the information from the LEC and that look ahead into the LCS. Follow us on our socials at NoRival underscore esports, especially on Twitter. That's where if you want to discuss things about the episode with me or Blue or both of us, you can find us on there. Also, feel free to rate the podcast on Spotify five stars if you are enjoying it. That really would help. But other than that, again, thank you so much for listening. We'll be hopefully back together as a duo next week. But until then, take care. Enjoy the Western League of Legends. Enjoy the LCS now that the LEC is finally going on a break. It's North America's time to shine. We're going to be kicking in the high gear soon going into the playoffs. Don't miss out on the LCS. It's been a ton of fun. A ton of games being taken off of everybody. Make sure you're watching. See you there.